0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is believed. It is born in the fury of the most violent storms on earth. It has traveled thousands of miles, building in strength and size. And here, in a remote corner of the planet, some men will not run from its fury.
1: They will ride it. You're not ready for it. I'm ready. So when the wave breaks here, don't be there or you're going to get drilled. He's a modern savage.
0: If I say it's safe to surf this beach, Captain, it's safe to surf this beach! What's he searching for?
2: The ride. The ultimate ride. What's up! The only thing surfers have in common with the rest of America is they're unemployed and love crystal meth.
0: It's awesome catching up with Kevin and Eric from Beachley. I, I, we finally got a sponsor, and they were they were really rad to talk to. They didn't really buy into some of our more ridiculous ideas, but but you know, I guess they have a business to run.
2: Yeah, and I don't know if you listened to the last episode, but if you didn't, maybe you can tell them what Beachly actually is, Chad. Oh, Not okay. just our sponsor.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, they're just they they've really just stood up their whole business just to be our sponsor. Now uh, uh, Beachley is a it's a a box, and it comes with about six to eight pieces of premium surfwear. Subscription box, a subscription service. It's a subscription service that comes with about six to eight pieces of premium surfwear. So if you think about like, you know, trunks, board shorts, hats, sandals, towels, all the cool shit you really want.
2: But also like jackets and pants, like it's all seasonal, right? So it changes as the seasons go. Okay. So I'll tell you actually a little bit about the subscription. It's $99. It comes quarterly. It's got the retail value of over $180 or more. And you can cancel anytime. any They've built a crazy algorithm that kind of forms your style. So they have a 100% retention rate. They've literally never lost a customer.
0: I always ask myself, you know, before we do anything, especially with a new sponsor, like what's in it for us? How do we get paid? And I guess the way we get paid is if you go and you subscribe now and you enter the promo code center, that's C-E-N-T-E-R, uh, we get, uh, a, a, I don't know, some money off of that, Right. 20 bucks it's a couple of coffees 20, each we yeah. get the 20 bucks or is it do they get the 20 bucks
2: no we get the 20 dollars. i don't know how bron and the guys from believe divvy that up maybe we only end up with five bucks i think it's like music i gotta management. think we i gotta get think really we get like shafted. a buck
0: 50 but that's the buck 50 that i'm willing to take so uh
2: yeah but if you want to subscribe head over to beach dot l y so beach lee but you put a dot between the l and the y b e a c h dot l y not .com, I automatically want to say .com. Beachly.ly.com, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not the bull. The .com like
0: we said last time. So, and
2: um, uh, just to top it off, there a portion of each sale goes to Heal the Bay Beach Cleanups. So you can not feel guilty about sitting at home and doing nothing while uh, the ocean gets eroded with straws and all kinds of other plastics. So you
0: So what you're saying is you'll feel as good as you
2: look. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> 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 all right. That's enough right. Uh, selling our soul.
0: Welcome to episode number 26 of Surf Center. Uh, today we're joined by a creative director, publisher, entrepreneur, Matt Titone. Uh, most of you might know Matt from his uh, amazing book, Surf Shacks, um, that's produced by his, what is it, how do you pronounce the brand, Matt? Endoic? Yeah, yeah, you nailed it. Endoic. Whoa. All right. Uh, it's produced by his brand, Endoic. He's also a partner and co-founder in Italic Studios as a creative agency that works with some some startup brands um like google and and netflix and patagonia and the like so before we get started like we started to talk about this on the on the read-in but how are you feeling about this election like (laughs) where's your head at you don't have to get super political um but (laughs) if you looked at at matt's instagram
2: (laughs) (laughs) if you looked at matt's instagram you know he's not afraid of uh, getting political so we'll let him go All right. Yeah, I, 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 to a fault. I have
1: no problem getting political. I don't know. I, I don't know what there is to say at this point, though. It's just
2: fucking bananas. Are you allowed to cuss on this podcast? Oh, dude, please. Absolutely. And, and, <laughs> and that's also from Delaware, which is where Joe Biden's from. So this one's even more... Yeah, yeah. I
0: was gonna say he also went to school in Georgia, so and Georgia's about to deliver that state. That is
1: unbelievable to me and super impressive. Um, I hope that happens. Um, yeah, because I grew up in the Northeast and you know, I, I kind of grew up in a really uh diverse town, diverse state, and like kind of my own little like liberal bubble. And uh, when I went to college down in Florida first and then Georgia, like later it was pretty big culture shock for me some of the rumors are true and some of them are just rumors but yeah i mean it's a different world down there
0: yeah so this must be i mean you know you probably have a really good cultural sense of what's happening on the ground there right now like more than probably anybody because um you know the south is a really weird place it's such an amazing place too like i i people you know talk a lot of shit on it but it's it you know i i've met some of my favorite people in, in that i've ever met in my life you know from like places like alabama and you know there's there are good people in the south it's just
1: yeah i mean yeah i don't know the south and like especially florida is like the brunt of like a lot of jokes from especially from californians and i think that's pretty unfair like florida is florida is awesome uh there's the you know florida man stuff is real like there's just like a lot of more rednecks it's just like i don't know i mean but not everybody there is like ignorant you know it's like there's super smart people too i think like just to give florida a big compliment they know how to have a lot more fun than like californians you know and sometimes you know when people are having too much fun they get like crazy and do stupid stuff too so i don't know i mean that doesn't speak to yeah Californians are way too cool I mean I I actually had a big problem with that Um, like the first two years I lived out here I was just trying to like kind of mellow down to the like the California norm
0: of behavior I guess I don't know so what do you mean California was was that I said, what do you mean by mellow down? Like, is it, is it?
1: I don't know. Like, I can't really put my finger on it, but I definitely had like a two year gestation period when I moved from New York to California. And like, I just really like coming from New York, where everybody speaks their mind and is just like in your, not in your face, but just like super open. And then California, like, kind of like Duma just said in one line, it's like, it's too cool, you know? And you know, people kind of carry that attitude and, you know it's not pretentious, I don't think or it doesn't mean to be it's just like a a mellower vibe, I guess I don't know.
0: I think it's pretentious <laughs> I, I, I don't think it means to be pretentious, but I think like God, you just i I listen to these conversations and even the ones I have like i'll I'll listen to the conversations I have on this podcast, replay them back and just be like i see you sound like such a dick you know like, <laughs> and i and I've most spent most of my life in California, so
2: you are a dick um yeah. but that's <laughs> yeah, that's not what we're talking about but, yeah. but I, I remember my first time going to the east coast to go surfing and being like surfing is still cool here it's so everyone was so jaded oh, yeah. on the west coast when i first moved to the states and surfing around newport everyone's jaded and surf industry's lame and this and that but you go there people are just stoked they're on the oh, beach yeah. and the waves are shitty and it's and they want to talk to you and i it's really refreshing
1: well when it comes to surfing like when it's you know it's not as consistent as california so like when it's on anywhere on the east coast everybody is just super fucking jazzed and like amping and you're on it it doesn't matter like if there's waves everybody who surfs puts down everything and and goes because like you got to take advantage um so like that like the quote unquote
2: stoke is real you know but talking about the stoke you've surfed more than you have the last few months and probably the last couple years combined matt i know you during the pandemic, packed up your house and moved up to Oxnard.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: no, what, uh, I, no, I don't really surf do that? that
1: much here because like there's no waves and, you know, and it, when there are, it's like super duper duper crowded, like way more than LA. So I don't really surf much here.
2: <laughs> he, 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 he's so full of shit he, this guy's, I get his super he just anymore. doesn't
0: want to, he doesn't some <laughs> Oxnard local's gonna hear this podcast and they're gonna be like, where's that motherfucker live, let's <laughs> track him down I hear you, <laughs> he, I get it <laughs>
1: no, no, the waves like really suck here, I mean
0: now
2: it's way better, and, uh, I don't know <laughs> but, uh, Dan already blew it, Reynolds already blew it out, you don't have to uh, protect yeah. it I know, I'm he's, just fucking around he, he sees uh, I went surf with Matt a few times and he sees like guys coming down the street. He's like, who the fuck are these kooks? <laughs> 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 yeah,
0: I'm super hardcore low yeah. dog now. I remember I remember seeing Matt in the water one day, and I was having such a bad one at fucking breakwater, and there was just it was the whole Google Point thing. And I was like, Matt was on my inside a little, and I was paddling right next to the rock, and I was fucking gonna lose it on him. And then he's just like, hey dude, and I'm like <laughs> I was in the middle of just fucking, and I was just like, hey, Matt.
1: (laughs) I I don't, but I feel Uh, like you've just described every session I had at Breakwater.
0: Yeah, but it was in Barley. I was about to just be like, get the fuck. And then it was like, you. And I was like,
1: oh, hey, dude, what's going on?
0: That is like such a funny scene.
2: Yeah, no, it's like stressful, man. Yeah. Um, Did you you guys decide to move up site? I just wanted to take you guys decided to move up because of the pandemic or were you ready? Were the wheels in motion to kind of move up and escape the city a little bit beforehand?
1: No. Yeah. The wheels were in motion. Like, like I've been wanting to move for
2: a few years
1: now. Like as soon as we had our first son, I really wanted, I felt like I love LA and like, I love Venice in particular, but it just felt like time for me. Um, And it more kind of came down to convincing my wife and like, she's had the same job for like, a decade now. And, um, you know, we were super comfortable, our friends, but um, yeah, it was always like the job thing was the issue. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, it was just like, fuck no, let's, we're out. Like, this is it. And, you know, she could work from home. I could work from home. So, you know, we just picked up sticks and that was the, yeah, that was the straw that broke the camel's back,
0: as they sure. say. So do you guys not have the studio anymore or do you have it and you're dealing with it or do you just kind of working, everybody working remote?
1: Yeah, we're just working remote. Um, we got rid of our physical studio space on Venice Boulevard after eight years, which was, which was, uh, bittersweet. Um, you know, it was, that was in the middle of like George Floyd and everything going down. So it was like, it was a really weird time to lose that office. Um because everybody on, like, I don't know how it is right now with the election stuff, but that was, like, so crazy to see, like, all of Venice Boulevard was boarded up, and we were, like, the only one that wasn't, and it just felt weird, like, why are we, why are we boarding up, I don't know, It, it just felt strange, but it looked like a different city, like, on Venice there, like, it just looked like this weird shanty town, and, um, Yeah, that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back with that, too. We were like my business partner, Ron, lives um, in uh, Lake Balboa area in the valley anyway. He moved uh, a couple of years ago, so he had been commuting to the office like, you know, three days a week or something, three or four days a week. Um, And it took him like over an hour to get to and from work every day. So it was just like, why are we doing this?
0: Yeah. I mean, it must be, do you feel like, have you, have you settled into a good rhythm in, in terms of working at home? It, it, it's a, it's not an easy thing to do.
1: No, it's definitely not. Um, yeah, we had, luckily like at our, our new place here, we have like this, uh, little loft space that kind of serves as our office. Um, which is cool, but it definitely, you know, it, it sucks to like be in your house all day, you know, and like not go somewhere new and interact with other people other than your family, like every day that, that rhythm being broken just definitely sucks. Um, you know, it's, it's comfortable and it is what it is now, but I don't think it's sustainable.
0: Yeah. It's been, it was hard for me too. I had, I had offices for gosh, 20 years, you know? So I had one on the beach there for over on wavecrest and speedway for 15 years. And then I had another one on Victoria for five and, uh, it was, it was so hard to um, learn how to work at home, you know, to just yeah. because my process was so different. I'd come in the morning, we'd have a meeting, we'd everybody would go, all right, go. And everybody would just do their shit. And then I kind of didn't have that much to do, you know, I'd do like, okay, make some phone calls and make some emails, but I would just sort of do. And then now I find myself kind of having these, you know, trying to figure out a process that works about, uh, you know, and I think I guarantee that a lot, and I, I've been doing it for a couple of years now, so it's not that bad, but a lot of people must be having a really hard time working out how to do time management, how not to just work all the time. Like, there's, it's not easy to do.
1: Oh, yeah. And I always like, I, I hate when my head goes here, but like sometimes I think like cinematically about like a, uh, like a montage or like if there was a camera on me, like doing like a, um, <laughs> just like time lapse of the day. And you know you get out of bed you like eat some food in the kitchen and then you go upstairs and on the computer and then you know then you go back in the bed and sleep and you sit on the couch and watch tv and then you repeat it the next day it's like dude that is pretty hamster wheel depressing um luckily we're by the beach and can jump in and surf here and there but like yeah it's i don't know it's weird
2: for and your business is creative so you are creative which is the hardest part how have you managed to stay inspired and creative i know you've had a lot of projects going on or some of them we'll talk about but it's a long time to continue to be motivated and creative
1: dude a 100 percent. like i think the biggest thing like ron and i talk about it all the time like we miss you know like concerts and like going to see like a new art opening or like a new um exhibit at the lacma or the mocha you know it's like movies i used to like i used to go to the fucking movies every friday afternoon and just smoke a bunch of weed and veg out like that was like my friday afternoon ritual you know like and like it's so simple and like selfish but like even that was like a form of inspiration and just like you can't even go on itunes and see like new movies now they're all these like weird bc level movies that like you know who knows what the fuck they are, but like, I don't know. There's just nothing like new creatively coming out. It's, that's kind of like, that's tough. Um, I don't know.
0: I think those inputs are so important to be if if, if, as a creative and I've noticed it too, Duma fortunately dragged me to the padded bone exhibit the other day, like about a month ago or so. Right. Maybe a little more, but, um, was the first time I'd seen an art show and like, it felt, it feels like, six months, you know, I used to go I used to just go to the Broad, like once every couple of weeks or once a month or whatever. My wife loves it there. So we would go there. And then we just go, you know, check out whatever other cool shit was going on in downtown LA.
2: Yeah. And,
0: and it's, it's such a those in, not having those inputs as a creative is like not having gas in a car, you know, it's a you need to have that because you, you need. That's how the ideas come. That's how the sparks, you know, start to get going. And so Oh, yeah. You, you're, you're managing to fill that by just getting in the water or like, what's the, again, like sort yeah. of into the process of working at home. How, how has, how have you been able to manage that? Or have you not been able it, to manage it?
1: It's definitely been difficult. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes like for what I do, like graphic design and branding and even illustration, like I kind of like go into my own little zones anyway, like Uh, sometimes I'm like the opposite and just need to be like a recluse and like need some privacy to like get in those zones Um, but yeah it's like a need a constant like change up really you know and sometimes you're just starved for like out outside inspiration Um, but yeah for me like exercise and like you know nature play a big part for me like just kind of refilling the tank with those Um, but yeah it's been it's been hard I mean, luckily, like me and Ron have been working together for so long, like over a decade now that like, we kind of share a brain and we just kind of naturally like divide and conquer and like kind of pass things back and forth. Like, you know, what do you think of this? I'm I'm burnt out on this particular thing. Like, can you fuck with it some and like, you know, we're really good about sharing files like that. Um, you know, it's not like you do this and you do that. It's we're very collaborative the way we work. So Luckily I have that with a business partner and like a co-conspirator.
2: I think at the end of, I know, I know you say you've been feeling inspired and hitting a brick wall in that, but I think at the end of COVID, if you had to take everybody's like what they produced of the last six to nine months and show it, I think you'd be in that 1%. I mean, you've got three massive projects that have just gone live. First of all, I mean, we'll talk about them all individually, but you surf shacks on surfing your book that you just launched. That's crowdfunding. And then your project, um, for for the black business grant that you did which has obviously been a huge undertaking too yeah
1: no thanks man yeah the we've definitely it, that's the thing though that's the key for us is to stay busy like if if we don't if we have downtime then you know it's just it's stressful and like i learned from working at other small studios like what they did in the downtime like not to do like i worked at some smaller places where like they would just take whatever projects came their way like big, small, or like crappy, like creative, like all the red flags, but if they didn't have any other projects going on because of their overhead that they need, they would take them and just like burn you out working on them. But like uh, for Ron and I, like if we have downtime and the projects just aren't coming in from clients that we like and want to work with, then we create our own projects. Like, uh, like the books you mentioned for NDOIC and is like our sister brand for the studio. And it's kind of a place for our, uh, like side passion projects. Um, so there's always kind of something to do there if we don't have any client work. Um, and then yeah, the black owned business grant was like just another reaction to like what was going on locally, uh, with George Floyd and everything. um, And just kind of taking stock on who we've worked with in the past like eight years. Like we were just like, this this was kind of like a big eye opener for us. It was like in eight years, we haven't had like a single black owned business as a client or like even a black person as a client. And I'm not people of color. Like we've worked with like tons of diverse clients, but like for some reason, not black people. And that's, that was kind of weird. It was like a weird like thing to realize. Um, so, you know, selfishly for us, like, I don't know, not that it was like, you know, we're trying to like tick a box or anything, but we were just like, let's just do something to change this, like for ourselves and, you know, branch out and work with people that we haven't in the past and, you know, help uplift some businesses that really need it right now with COVID and, just everything going on so yeah so you was, did
0: you did end up end up making like i guess how what was it like was it a sort of a, almost a scholarship type of thing or not scholarship but you you, you it was like a, a business the your services which is like a obviously yeah
1: two businesses actually uh we did like a. it was it was we called it like a design grant so like we we opened it up for like applications and you know people would you know answer like 10 questions and kind of submit uh you know all sorts of information about their business and like why they needed our help and like um yeah we chose two different businesses from all the applicants and uh we just finished one and we're kind of in the middle of the other one right now
2: tell us about those businesses what do you guys do for them in the process and just for them like you know for those all trad- for those businesses that don't couldn't normally really afford services so like what you guys do to kind of have this full creativity to be able to kind of do whatever they wanted. How was that process?
1: Yeah, it was. It was kind of cool. Um, you know, it's like different. It was a different way of getting new business for us. You know, because like most of our like new clients come from like they see our work online and like they or they like what we did for some other brand and like come to us for that reason. Um, so these were obviously coming from a different place out of necessity um but you know like both businesses have been awesome and like super appreciative of all the work and um we actually chose uh two very similar clients uh because they were like they seem like just in line with our values and like what we're into they're both um like small organic vegan uh grocers that are kind of in food deserts in la like one is um like kind of south central area and then one is um like close to skid row um the one we just finished is called Lorea's uh, bodega and uh larea is awesome she's <laughs> she's a trip i hope she's listening she um she's a real you character a link. yeah yeah uh yeah she she has this bodega and like i don't even know how to begin to describe like her story like she's just like she's just got like you know you just meet people with like awesome energy and like I don't know like I don't know what it is about her in particular but she's just like beaming with like good vibes and I know that sounds like really corny and cheesy to say but uh she just like is a really generous person and has this um she feeds the homeless on a regular basis and she she hustles really hard she like goes to like Whole Foods and all these like big grocers and like takes like the stuff that they're gonna like throw away because most of these big grocery stores, like most of the stuff on the shelves, especially produce is like just for show. Like nobody's like buying all that food. They like get rid of it. It's super sad, Um, but she takes like donations from brands. Um, Like you go in her bodega and it's like all the stuff that we would buy at like Erewhon. It's like, you know, kombuchas and like cold pressed juices and like from the same brands. And they're like a dollar. It's like a 99 cent store of erawan stuff. It doesn't make any sense. But like, all the, she just like goes to all those brands and like has them donate their products uh, to her. And she, you know, gives them to the homeless. She's like, kind of like Robin Hood. But yeah,
2: that's awesome. can have an influx of white hipsters standing
0: outside the door to buy a kombucha. She's
2: getting me really like, yeah, totally. like
0: totally. Totally. I can definitely see why you would have chosen her that sounds awesome how did she what was that process like again like what was the application process like and how did you do outreach and how did that work
1: uh I mean we just like kind of depended on what we have at our disposal like we just have Instagram and like our newsletter really you know like we're, we're kind of hermits in our office like we're in front of a computer most of the day so like we don't have like a huge like network and um so we just kind of like put a blast out on instagram about it and then like we have like i don't know around ten thousand people who subscribe to our email newsletter so um just kind of put the bat signal out through those two channels and then like a lot of people just naturally like forwarded it to folks and um you know what's funny it was you know it's just like kind of a product of like you know our environment and our our own network but most of the people were like like you said, Duma, like white hipster people being like, you should get this person, like you should get this person. It's like, well, we're not going to like go knock on doors and try to tell people they need branding. Like if they want our services, they'll like apply and come to us. Like we're not in the business of like telling people what to do and what they need. Like (laughs) that's kind of arrogant.
0: So what, what do you see as like, sometimes it's hard to work with clients that, that at least in in my experience that you know, a lot of times you work with clients are pretty initiated into the process, right? They've done it before. They've been here before. They've done brand. They understand it. They, what's it like to to then work with somebody who might be an amazing hustler and entrepreneur and all those other things, but they've never gone through that, that process before. Is there, is there, did, is that, was that a challenge or was it something that you kind of helped just to, did you give them like a, okay, here's what the steps are going to be like. And here's what I expect of each one of those steps or was it just chaos? Yeah.
1: No, we 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 definitely like we're pretty organized and like with our proposals and like we like to think we're good about like setting expectations and like communicating our process up front. So um, yeah, but it was definitely a challenge. Like I mean, in both cases, like like you said, they have never been like the client in a branding situation before. So like it did take a little bit of education, but. Um, you know, mostly they've just been like stoked on the work and um you know especially like with Lorea who we just finished everything for um you know she was just like it's she was just so like pumped like from the first meeting and like there was like some things like like stupid things like you know she just like didn't like a color palette that we had and you know like we we hit like a road bump a, a, you know road bump on like color and it was just like <laughs> But you know, that that was an easy hurdle to cross, you know. But for the most part, it's been pretty chill. And, like, yeah, I don't and know, is it
0: something that you're going to continue doing, or is it is, are, are you sort of just like, okay, cool, we did that because it's hard to do? I mean, it, you know, it's yeah. hard to do free work, and
1: yeah, <laughs> I know. I thought we were out of the free work phase after eight years, but um, it'd be great no, for you no, we do. Yeah, exactly. That's the, our favorite line. Um, yeah. Uh, no, we actually do, yeah. um, every year though, we do try to do like a couple different, like philanthropic yeah, type projects. Like we've done a lot of work with, uh, 826 LA in the past. Um, and then also Surf uh, Surfrider Foundation in the past. Um, so, so we, we definitely try to do a couple of those projects a year. So these were just kind of like those this year and it was a different way to do it rather than going to like an organization. We were like, you know, like, fuck that. Like, we don't know where, like if we're gonna donate to an organization, you don't know where the money goes or like, you know, we we wanna like do something that immediately impacts like a real business and kind of like helps uplift them specifically. So
0: that's, that's really cool. And it's so much easier to
2: just donate money than it is to donate like your actual time, you know, time is a yeah. valuable resource to like actually put in time and get, get your hands dirty is so much more impressive and so much more rewarding. I'm sure.
1: Definitely more rewarding. Yeah. I would say. Um, yeah. It's been a lot of fun. I think just meeting new people too, and like getting exposed to different stuff, like, especially in, in LA, like has been like, to me, the, the biggest uh, benefit. It's like, You know, we we kind of like the older we get, we like get more and more into our bubble. And um, it's good to just like experience new things, especially right in your own backyard.
0: So I mean, we're gonna I I had this question and and this is something I've you know, because I've I had an agency for a really, really long time, kind of have one now. But um I always wanted to do projects that I owned, but I always found it to be really difficult to be able to to do that. Like you're surf and all the endoic projects that are that are your proprietary brand making proprietary stuff right how do you how do you balance that work with the and i and i know obviously some of that stuff's probably starting to make some money but how do you balance that work with the with the you know client client business and, and what does that look like
1: um yeah it's There's, like, a lot of different answers to that question, actually. Uh, But, like, the time allocation, it's funny because, like, when you, like, introduced me at the beginning is, like, I feel like you guys and, like, most people, like, especially in surfing are, like, oh, you're, like, the surf shacks guy and, you know, Doak or, you know. But, like, that is literally, like, if I had to, like, break down my day or my year, like, time-wise, it's, like, 1% of my time and energy. Um, but it's funny because those things actually like get italic, like a lot of work too, you know, like, so it, it, kind of, it's, it's a weird like ratio, like, of like time actually spent on it to like, you know, kind of cachet and like value that's not monetary. Um, cause that stuff I, I will like tell you right now, like none of the endoic stuff makes m- money. I mean, it's like, yeah you know, there's really not a lot of money in books and pub- it's all like hundred percent passion projects. like the money that comes in from one thing goes right into like the next project. and like Ron and I have never taken a pay cut a, a pay a, a draw or like a a paycheck from the Indoic bank account. It's all like reserves going into like other stuff. so uh, yeah, I don't know.
0: I, I imagine that that was the case and and just to make sure that we're clear. Uh, the, the intro was creative director, publisher, <laughs> entrepreneur. So yeah. and, and then I said, I said you're probably best known for Surfshacks, which I think would be right. a true thing. Right? No, yeah. You were knew you it, I guess. Yeah, But yeah. I'm just saying, co-founder of Italic Studios, the creative agency that works with brands like Google, Netflix, and Patagonia. Just so you make sure that we that box <laughs> no, very I know, I know. idly. I'm,
1: I'm
0: sorry. <laughs> I apologize. I, I think it's a yeah, I think first what people would know
2: Matt and them from is they did this incredible piece on the anatomy of a surfer back in the day with oh. Owen Wright. And it was one of the early pieces of content, I guess, early days of the internet, even that was truly like high production value on surfing. And it kind of goes through his wingspan and his, you've all seen it somewhere. We'll drop the link into the mail out when we, when we blast this episode. But from there, those were the early days of the internet. Matt was doing surf shacks and that was originally a blog, right? Where you just kind of photographed people's homes that you would, That you drew inspiration from and that you knew
1: yeah yeah totally um yeah it was like yeah it was just like kind of like yeah and doik was just a blog at that point it was kind of like a weird um yeah i don't know it's weird to even talk about because that was like (laughs) like you said like the beginning of the internet as we know it today it was kind of it was before instagram and social media well facebook was around but it just wasn't like as big um and yeah blogs were like a thing like you know dane reynolds had his blog and like i guess he has a blog now too right but he's back to i don't know back to <laughs> yeah it was just like but like blogs like it just sounds like kind of like a weird word now it's like oh it's like a widget or like a, you know like but like uh yeah we had this blog it was like me and my former business partner drew uh who lived in new york we kind of did a switcheroo like I lived in New York. He lived in uh, San Diego, actually. And then when I moved out to LA, he moved to New York and like, I don't know, we had this endoic like blog that, you know, kind of connected us and we just kind of, it was, it was just like a a tool for us to save stuff we liked online. Like it was like a classy way to save stuff instead of like bookmarking it or saving a link. We just like, you know, put it into this website endoic and, but it, it became like having a pet, you know, it was like, I don't want to be like a content curator and like you know i'm I'm a graphic designer i don't i started to spend a lot of time like you know just reposting videos i liked and you know (laughs) writing a couple sentences about it it was just like and then you felt like you had to do that every day it was like really weird um so we just kind of started to evolve it and like try to think of uh original content ideas and around that same time like me and ron started italic together So it was like really clear, like this could be a vehicle uh, to promote our studio. And like, you know, when you start a design studio, you know, contrary to popular belief, uh, clients aren't like banging on your door, trying to give you money. Uh, So like, Endelic was a good like self-promotional tool. It was like this fake brand that, um, you know, was like a fake client for us. Like the anatomy of Owen thing. It was like, you know, it was like, look at this sweet motion graphics project we did for endoic you know <laughs> it's like meanwhile i'm sitting here changing my bow tie like i'm indoic.
0: <laughs> 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 you know it's like um i mean that that yeah. was actually kind of part of what i wanted to talk about is, is that exact thing it's kind of like you know when i asked you about that allocation of time and effort to the book stuff versus the client work like <clears throat> when you when you do those projects you know are you are you taking are is the process the same? In other words, if you're doing a book or you're doing an endoic project, is it the same process that you would, that you would use when you're doing any other design project? Or is it a little more free because you don't, you're not encumbered by the client or are you a worse client than a normal client? To yourself?
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That one's, that one's hard to answer because like, yeah, it is like quite a conundrum when you turn yourself into the client, because like we've always wrestled with this throughout the years. It's like, how to maintain a consistent brand, but also try to do fun shit that like we wanna do on the side and like, you know, like create work that gets us new work and not like be boring. So like, that's always kind of like a conundrum. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same process overall, like the creative part, uh, it's just like extended over years instead of like weeks and months because it's always a side project that's self-funded and it's always being interrupted by client work. Interrupted is the wrong word because we love client work, but it's like, you know, it's always press pause and go like the on-surfing one. It's like, a, it's the same. yeah, I mean like the on-surfing one that we have a Kickstarter for right now that Duma mentioned, it's like, dude, we've been doing that on and off for like three or four years now. And it just so happens that it's timed right now that we're like getting the book together. It's not like intentional it's just like it was it's just the i don't know it's just tell us a a bit about
2: the book tell us a bit about on surfing or on that subject and what it is and what people can expect and where to find it
1: yeah uh yes time for my shameless self-promotion time
2: (laughs) all right this is what we're here for baby (laughs) i like the voice change there you go (laughs) (laughs) who
1: wants to buy some books uh on surfing so like several years ago uh uh this writer um mike adno reached out to me um and mike is like a super accomplished writer he like works for the new york times and um you know he's won like james beard award in the past and uh he's also a surfer he's a smart surfer he knows how to write stuff um but yeah he came came to me like out of nowhere and was like yeah i want to like do something with you for endoic and we just kind of like decided on something super simple, like an interview project. Um, and, you know, he's a writer. So, you know, the interview part was easy, but I was like, what can we do like visually to, that's like original to like, or somewhat original to like complement this? Because like the interviews, it's like everybody has been interviewed about surfing. Like, that's why there's like Surfer's Journal and Surfer, Ma- well, not Surfer Magazine anymore, but every every surf publication, you know, people talking about surfing, so. I don't know. I I, I kind of like using Doac too as like a way to flex different creative muscles that I don't usually do through the studio, like with graphic design and branding, like and computer stuff. So uh, I kind of like got back into like portrait drawing um, uh, and figured that would be a good um, way to complement the interviews. So basically, the formula for on surfing is like Mike asks all these surfers like the same exact interview questions um gets like really poetic responses out of them um and then i draw their portrait with um uh pencil and paper um and (laughs) make them look like a napoleon dynamite sketch (laughs) basically do you you
0: read do you read were you you able to read the interviews and then make the portraits or were you oh no they
1: don't like have anything to do with each other i just like while he interviews somebody i like well, first I make sure that they respond with an interview. So I'm not just drawing some portrait for no reason. <laughs> so like once he gets the interview, I'm like, okay. And then I like get him to send me a nice high resolution photo of them and uh, draw a portrait from it and then do some computer wizardry to turn it different colors. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's a really simple like book concept. It's not like surf shacks. It's like this big coffee table book um large format it's like it's more of like a journal size paperback book like something that you'd actually want to read uh over time it's mostly words and then these portraits at the beginning of each
2: chapter tell us about some of the people in in there who have you guys interviewed and who's kind of been the most fun who's one of your favorites that you've read or drawn there's a lot of good ones um one of your clients duma mikey mikey february
1: uh Thomas who, still Campbell. Owes your,
2: who still owes your voice note, by the way. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, God, we already I made, made the video. <laughs>
1: we could make more videos, though. Uh, but, yeah, Mikey, um, Thomas Campbell, Jerry Lopez, uh, Cassia. Um, then there's, like, a lot, you know, mostly uh, surf writers, actually, because they gave some really, like, thoughtful, uh, you know, really poetic – interview answers. Um, so I'm trying to just kinda, you're catching me off guard here, I'm trying to think of think of the list here.
2: I <laughs> know oh, you've got Jamie like, Brissick.
1: Yeah, Jamie Brissick, Derek Hind, kind of like a lot of like people you would expect uh, from the surf journalism world. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of interesting characters in there. Artists too, like Sando Burke, um, Ty Williams.
0: Um yeah. So you see, uh, tarot you to my you mentioned that you use endoic to flex different creative muscle. And it seems to me that this these two books are like on opposite sides of the world, right? Like one is your the Surfshack series is kind of this really visual, like rich and, and highly curated and crisp kind of uh presentation of of people's homes, right? And the other is much which is a f- sort of physical four walls type of thing. And, and this is more, much more spiritual or much more in, in the ephemeral type of, um, pursuit than a, than a, you know, like an, a specific physical thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Um, yeah, actually, you know what, it's funny though. Cause like surf shack's, my favorite part about surf shacks, the book is both books is the interviews. I actually like really like You know, it is a coffee table book full of images, but um, I really, like my favorite part about doing the project too, was like the interviews. And so I I hope people actually read that one because there's good stuff in there. Um, But yeah, for me, like personally, like creative wise, like I used surf, like nobody hires me as a photographer. Like I'm not a photographer by profession, but I really enjoy photography. I just needed an excuse to like pick up the camera and I, I need a project. So Surfshack's is that project for me. And it gives me like, I don't take my SLR camera and like go shoot shit. I don't ever do that. I take like Polaroids of my kids or something, but like Surfshack's is like my reason to shoot like real photography, I guess. And um, so that's what I use that one for. Same thing with like on surfing, like nobody's hiring me as like a editorial spot illustrator. like. I don't draw portraits of people for a living, like. But I, I enjoy doing that, and I like loved doing that, and when I was in art school, and um, so it's just been a good way for me to like bring that back into like my work life. Um, yeah, I need a project to like make myself do something on the side.
2: And uh,
0: so, fun. checks. Sorry, dude. go ahead. Yeah, some people have so- got to
2: like build a shed out back. Like I don't know. <laughs> Surfshacks 2 just launched about a month ago. Um, I remember we had, I remember when Surfshack's first one launched, we had the party at General Admission and you had oh, a pretty yeah. crazy story. You know, for those of you that have gone to a bookstore, you might see there's two variations of Surfshack's, um, there's the original and then there's the fake, there's the cheap Chinese knockoff and then there's Indobooks original, um, Oh God! Penguin books stole the idea from these guys. I'll let Matt tell the story a little bit more, but it's, you know, like anything, being no. creative getting ripped off Unless you don't want to I, tell out <laughs> <tell them> <laughs> no my mom like, sent
0: me that she's no, like no, I there have this great book for you i found this great book it's on surf shacks so i'm like oh i know the dude that did it it's such so, such a yeah. sick book i can't wait to get it and when wah, we get it wah. it's <laughs> totally not <laughs> it was pretty lame it was a bummer so yeah,
1: yeah. uh yeah oh, man I, I knew you were gonna ask me about this <laughs> it's such a thorn in my side even to this day. And I mean, I don't know, Chad, you kinda like touched on it earlier. Like when you're when you're like when you're a client services agency or design studio or whatever, you know, like it's not real IP is not really your problem. You know, you do design research before a project and you make sure you're not like ripping somebody off or like, you know, you want to create somewhat original work, you know. And you're always inspired
0: by other stuff, right? But it's not, yeah.
1: But so you do those projects as a design design studio and like, you know, you're shaping brands, but it's not your brand, right? Endoic is like another thing. It's like, you know, we're creating original work for ourselves and like, you know, it has been like different for us. Like we have to like copyright and trademark stuff, which is kind of foreign, you know, stuff for two designers to have to do um and you know we did that with surf from the very beginning actually because you know we knew we had a good like online series and the intention was always to create a book um apparently none of that stuff matters <laughs> it's really like unfortunate like this was even before donald trump but <laughs> you know well not before him but before him being a president uh you know it's just whoever's got the deeper pockets kind of wins you know and if you're not willing to like go through a big legal battle and uh sue somebody which just you know makes my stomach turn just talking about it then you can easily get fucked by people and that's kind of what happened with the other book um you know i don't even know what to say about it i mean like we found out about it as we were putting the book together and um you know, they were also putting a book together and we tried to like resolve things amicably. Um, they basically like told us like "f you sue us kind of thing. And it was pretty harsh and um, you know, I got some really good advice from uh, my friend, Colin, who's in the first Surfshack's book. Uh, who owns Satur- he owns Saturday. He's one of the owners and founders of Saturdays uh, in New York. We went to SCAD together actually and uh, he was in a situation several years ago with like Kate Spade where uh Kate Spade came out with like a sub brand called Saturday or something and they got into a huge like legal thing with them and he he was just like yeah man it's just not worth it like they exhausted like tons of time and spent so much money like and it just kind of like went nowhere and it was like exhausting mentally and you know it's just it's just like unhealthy, I guess. Um, Not to say, I mean, it's unhealthy the way I stress over that book sometimes too, or at least it was like when it came out. Um, It definitely, you know, it's like people are always like, imitation is the best form of flattery until it happens to you. And then, you know, it's no fun. And especially Um, you
2: guys had been so careful to like register and you own the name and everything like that. Your IP, so careful around your IP and spending that money. Yeah, we thought
1: we did everything right. We spent all this money through the lawyers and stuff like that we thought was ridiculous in the first place. And we thought we were protected and, you know, it probably would have protected us if we had decided to like sue or whatever, like, but it's just like not really... It wasn't worth it to us, I guess.
2: But, like, and you, I remember you mentioning there's not enough margin in a book, right? To make it like no. worth it, right? Yeah. If <laughs> you're it's making not worth pennies it. on the and, dollar.
1: And look, man, yeah, it's like my, like you said earlier too, like time is more valuable than money. Like, I, I want to like just keep creating stuff and like, you know, move on to the next thing. Like, even with these books, like, uh, Surfshacks 2 just launched, and like, I, I was, I'm like so proud of, the second book i like it feels way more personal and um better to me than the first book actually like which is weird um but like the minute it came out like by the time it arrived on my doorstep like the physical copy i like wasn't even excited i like haven't even opened it like and I'm, I'm not even bullshitting right now like i i had already moved on like i'm like all right Awesome. It's out. Like it's done. Like the project's done. I don't know. I just like don't need to like sit around and pine over something for a while, I guess. Do you,
0: are you ever do you ever and I get this all the time, so um and I think a lot of designers do. Do you do you ever look at your work and feel a sense of satisfaction of what you created or is there always just like room for improvement and this was pretty okay but not so awesome or are there moments where you just go that was fucking badass? Is there is there like what's what's the what's the normal sort of you know journey? Uh I think both,
1: you know, like I don't know, like like Ron is is super humble too. Like I feel like when you know, I, I feel like I'm more celebratory of our work like than Ron. Like I, I like when we finish something, I'm always like, This is badass, awesome. Let's like, you know, put this on the website and put it on Instagram or whatever and you know. I don't know he's just like yeah you know it's done <laughs> but like i, I don't okay, know I do. I've, i'm definitely like proud of like work we've done in the past though and like some projects way more than others um mostly it's about like the people and the brands that we work with rather than like the work itself though like that gives me i think the satisfaction um i don't know
2: who are some of the people in surf shacks too? I'm sure this time around, it would have been a lot easier to get people and people probably coming to you. Cause they want to be featured oh, yeah. in the book, right? A badge oh, yeah. of honor And put the price time. the value of your home up. If you get featured in surf shacks too. So, <laughs> I don't, I don't know about that. Speaking from experience. Well, uh, yeah, you did, you, uh, Matt almost bought a home recently. that they came off a book. And <laughs> But uh, oh, we'll no, know. I wasn't even talking about that. Um, <laughs> But uh, who are some of your favorite interviews with and some of the best homes that you featured in surf shacks too? Um, those
1: are definitely two different things for me. Um, like the favorite homes are definitely easy. Like uh, my top three favorite homes in the second book are, uh, Jeff Johnson's place up in, uh, Santa Barbara. Um, just, just a beautiful a-frame actually put one of the, uh, shots from that one on the cover. Um, And then the Goodwins compound in uh, Kauai that like Jay Nelson helped build. It's like a converted uh, converted bus that they've like built a treehouse around. And it just like looks like some crazy Swiss Family Robinson shit.
2: Yeah, it Um, came up in my Apple News the other day. It was on like, oh, yeah, Dwell. Yeah, Dwell. Sorry, that was it. Yeah,
1: Dwell republished it, um, which was sweet um yeah that one and then the third one is uh robert mckinley's place in montauk um he's just like an amazing interior designer and he's done like a lot of like hotel design uh, as what he's kind of known for like with uh what is it the um surf lodge in montauk and then some other like new york city properties um but his place is like and those are like three of my favorite places also like the North shore of Kauai and Montauk and, um, and Santa Barbara. So those were easy as far as favorite homes, um, favorite, favorite interviews, um, or just like people that I was like really pumped to meet. Um, definitely Peter Shroff, he's crazy, but awesome. (laughs) He's very provocative as most people in the surf world probably know um uh, but he's like a he's like a sweetheart in real life um uh him and then jeff mcfedridge like he's like a perfect example of like what the series means to me like meeting my heroes like that's like a vehicle for me to like go out and like photograph and interview and like, just spend time with like people that inspire me and jeff is like the epitome of that like i mean i'm like a graphic designer because of him um, and yeah i got to like meet him through this project and hang out with him and yeah put him in my book so that was kind of cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um i don't know i can't really think of let me let me
2: bust put up that out. book. yeah so man Let's... you're actually gonna open it for the first time right yes. now in front of oh. us
1: <laughs> cobwebs the just some dust just squirted in my face uh yeah oh yeah T- tarot definitely tarot to my big like snowboard legend um Got He's to go the guy to who made
2: Gentem Stick, right? Yeah, Gentem Stick. Gentum say stick. It, <laughs> say it right, man.
1: Um, yeah, like, dude, I, I had a snowboard trip planned um, with some buddies early this year, right before COVID. I uh, went to Japan and, like, same thing. It's like, I've always, like, admired that brand and Gentem Stick and, like, Taro's, like, the Jerry Lopez of, like, Japan. And so I, like, just reached out to him on Instagram and he actually replied and was like, yeah, sure, like. Let's make it happen and got to shoot him in his home while I was on that like snowboard trip and just meet him and spend time with him. was just fucking priceless.
0: So what's the, what's the sort of, um, w- w- looking into the future, What what is it that you're hoping to be able to do in the next couple of years? Like what's your sort of, what w- would be an awesome outcome for you? or project or like, where, where does this all go? Is there, is there a greater <laughs> sort of, you know, make large, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no.
1: Because you start your know. own,
0: you don't start your own agency and make books and make these projects and do all this entrepreneurial stuff without some, there's gotta be an aim to some direction that, that, you know, that I think, and I don't mean that growth is good. I'm just, it. you know, a lot of people kind of aim toward, you know, yeah. building a business.
1: Yeah, we don't, Ron and I, I I would say we're kind of different in that sense. Like we, we talk about this stuff, like every year we kind of like, you know, look at like what we did in the past year and like think about some like short-term goals, but we definitely don't have long-term goals. I don't know why, but like, you know, we just want to be happy and like do work we like. And like, we've always fought growth, um, kind of like to a detriment, I think uh in the years we've had the studio like at at our biggest point like we've only had like one retainer client um in over eight years um and that lasted a couple years or maybe three years i can't remember um but yeah like we we had to like do so much work when we had a retain much more work than design work when we had a retainer client like we had to like pay attention hours and like we had employees and we you know it was like all this managerial stuff that just we're not good at and we don't want to do so like it was kind of like a weight lifted when we like decided to end that relationship and like it was kind of scary because we were like oh man like you don't know where your next paycheck's gonna come like being freelance basically but like as it always work always comes you know it's like it's just you have good years and bad years and like that's the way it is and i don't know we have a good like Working relationship and a good rhythm um, to when we do have those like downtimes, we take vacation or like we take time off or we do an endoic project or, you know, it's, I don't know. We don't really have like those long term goals though, I don't think. Like, really, just we just want to do like creative work and be happy. That's really the long term goal. Um, and, and we when, don't want to grow the studio, that's for sure. Like,
0: yeah, I see. it what well, seems like that's a good, it. it right now growing a studio would be a would be a probably not even really a necessary thing um, but also a really challenging thing right yeah
1: I mean if anything we have shrunk you know like we like when COVID hit we had one employee and an office space and like now we don't have any employees we don't have an office we're still chugging along though I mean it's like we're like on paper we're still the same italic and I don't know yeah I have friends that own other design studios and we're always in constant communication, like comparing like proposals and like client behavior and like, you know, talking shit and whatnot on yeah. the industry and just exchanging knowledge and whatnot. And, you know, some of them have employees and offices and it's like, you know, they're they're doing all the stuff that like Ron and I don't like to do, and but they enjoy it a little more than us, I think, um, that part of the business, but
2: yeah, it's weird. I'm under know. the firm belief that retainers are the worst case for everybody. Because as yes. the client, you never feel like you're getting enough. And as the person producing the work, you feel like you're giving too much. Like it's dude. too much work. It's it's, 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 an, it's a lose-lose.
1: It is, dude. But um, you know what's really funny, though, about our retain- the retainer that we had? We were always trying to convince them. It was kind of the opposite. We were like, you guys are always you're spending way more money on our overtime hours than you, than you are on our like regular hours that are allocated. You need to up the like hours. Like you're just spending way too much. We're happy to take the money but like <laughs> and they never did. It was so weird. <laughs>
2: Yeah. It's, it's said that, well, you guys are a good, good business, ethic. Yeah, <laughs> it's I No, no I mean,
1: before. they, they knew it. They saw like all the like reports coming in. Um, it was funny. Like they could see the hour breakdown and it was like astronomical, like the amount of hours that they were putting to overtime every month. And they still never like changed. It was just weird.
0: Retainers are so much management, right? Like you said, it's, it's, I'd rather just go, here's a proposal. Here's what the, here's what we're going to deliver and then deliver that thing. And if there's a change, just make a change order and do it that way. Um, yeah. And it's it's tough because they require so much communication. Um, it sounds to me like what you're, it seems like you're more about gripping back any complexity from what you're trying to do. It's more about keeping things really simple and, and kind of free from extraneous bullshit. One time I tried to get you guys to do a project when I was at WSL and panning, I mean, penning showed me the Owen thing, and I was like, "Fuck, that thing is so awesome." The endoic thing you did, um, and I wanted you guys to do something for the for Chopo, um, and it was like I think we had like we had like no time, we had like six weeks, and you just was, you were like, and it was good money, like we had proper budget to do it. Yeah. it's like, and I was really pretty jealous of that. Like, no, I'm not doing it. because I normally just go, "Fuck, we could do it. We'll just kill ourselves, and then we'll make it happen, and we'll probably be pretty good," you know but yeah that's not what you're after and so that,
2: <laughs> yeah that's, that's well so i'm sorry did no, they say sir, no i remember to the that project distinctly did they say no yeah. to the subject
0: yeah. oh, yeah, no to the hell project? no he he like pretty much <laughs> Matt matt like kind of laughed at me actually he like, i didn't mean i didn't mean to I if
1: i did i didn't mean to if i did no 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 right.
0: it wasn't it wasn't shitty it was just it was more like it the the good news was you didn't even have to say no you just kind of went yeah, I, like it was just it was written all over your face. Um, but it was it would have been amazing. But it it uh, well, that's
1: why I say that we do it to a detriment because you know we, Ron and I are both designers. We don't have like the business partner that's focused on like business or like a producer, for instance. Like most people start these agencies or whatever they do with people who do different things, and we both do the same thing, which is you know a challenge and uh, and an asset I think. Um, But, you know, we have to divide and conquer on like, you know, Ron does the books and like handles the money and stuff. And I do like most of the emails and client relations, Um, which, you know, those are two things that neither of us want to do, but we have to split them up. But like when it comes to like choosing projects, we don't have that person that's like, you know, just thinking from that side of their brain, like this is good money, like this is good, whatever, you know, we're just thinking like, I don't want to do that, like, you you know, or just, (laughs) you know, like. The, the creative realities I guess so
0: dude I've um, never had that that I've never had that gene I, 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 anytime anybody's like hey can you guys make that happen I would just be like yep we, we could totally do it It do not, does not matter how ridiculous it is <laughs>
1: well let me just and say too also I, I'm younger than Ron like Ron, Ron's like five years older than me and like he's wiser and like yeah. he's he's he balances me out too because I'm I have a little bit of that like I I like get really excited really easily about certain things and he's always the one that's keeping me in check um which is good so we balance each other out nicely
2: for that and knows the sexiest word in the english dictionary as me. yeah (laughs) (laughs) did i tell you that (laughs) yeah just ask just
1: ask our president
0: yeah (laughs) oh that's Um, amazing
2: Matt you are an avid surfer I mean you made books and yeah Indowork has been your kind of surf outlet for your agency you know a lot of it's centered around surfing and you surf as every spare second you get so naturally you have like this affinity for surf and the industry what is where do you think the surf industry and I guess more so from like the bigger kind of brands are going wrong and kind of lacking because we're obviously seeing this huge dip in surf we're seeing a massive wave and like the sales of wetsuits and surfboards and all these different things. So there's obviously the interest there, but the other side, the sales of the clothing and all that's kind of disappeared and gone from what we were, what we once were so used to.
1: Uh, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't. I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know because, like, I grew up when surfing was like fucking awesome and cool and like anti-establishment and counterculture and like you know all the bad kids surfed. It was like a it was like an edgy thing to do and like I don't know there was I don't, I don't know quite where I'm going with this but like there was like Volcom was like new and you know in the late 90s and that was like just so fucking cool to me like that was another thing that inspired me to be like a graphic designer and uh I don't know man I, I don't understand it now surfing is not cool now in my opinion like I don't like I don't take pride like when you said that like when you asked that question I was like Ugh. you know like surf culture surf industry it, s- it sucks you know and like we don't do any work with the surf. like we have never done any like that's why we have endoic like I don't want to work with surf brands really like I, I love surfing like more than anything in the world probably and like that's why like I have endoic like I, I do it on my terms like it's like but like those companies are so fucking cheesy. Like, I don't get it. I don't understand. Like, I guess I've listened to your podcast in the past and I think you probably nailed it like with like, they just got too big, you know, like money became like the driving force and like, they just like, we're all about growth growth and like going public and all this stupid bullshit that like, isn't cool. You know? And like, I don't, I don't really know. I don't know how to answer the question I don't I don't know what happened or like what well, <laughs> well, I have no Thompson. desire to work with like I have no desire to work with surfing so like everyone that has like come to us because we do get hit up like from time to time uh because of Mendoic projects you know and but it's like the same old story it's like oh yeah like we got like you know short timeline no budget and but it's going to be really cool. And it's like, I don't need to be really cool. I got a fucking family. Like I got kids. Like I, I don't need to be cool. And like nothing you're doing is cool. So why, why would, you? I don't know. But then they just like try and rip something off anyway. So like they try to rip something off. Do you do yeah, you don't, <laughs> instead? You don't
0: do it. They're just going to take it. Instead. Yeah. It's and they,
1: a highly derivative industry. And it's so sad because it used to be so like, culture shaping and like uh original like it used to be that and now it's just like what can i fucking steal and like repurpose and put under my put my fucking logo on it it's just disgusting i don't know
0: i'm the wrong person
1: to ask about this no no no, it's like doing a terrible like job of (laughs) self-promoting
2: no no it's good (laughs) it's honest it's honest and it's the truth and you know michael thompson said it perfectly size is the enemy of cool you know, maybe that's just it. That's maybe a good quote. Then maybe they just, there's nothing they can do. They're just too big to be cool again. And maybe yeah, that's Yeah, I mean, it, even right.
1: surfboards, like even like mainstream surfboards, I feel like are so ugly like these days, you know, like the spine tech technology and like, you know, like carbon fiber, this, and, you know, it's just like hideous, like,
2: but tech, I don't know. Tech is pretty gross, you know, in, in terms of like, because yeah. you know, it's not really doing much. It's just a gimmick, right? Like at the end of the day, Guys are riding boards with no fins and tearing. You know, yeah, have soft tops and shit like that.
1: Yeah, I, and I will say, like, surfing is so huge, though. So on the other end of that, there are, like, the most beautiful boards ever being made by, like, you know, people like Ryan Loveless or whoever, you know, like the mollusk boards. And, you know, so there's, like, room for everything in surfing now. So it's it's so big that it is more diverse. and More diverse than people give it credit for, I think. Um, but the big brands, which I assume is that's what you're talking about. Like they're they're the ones shitting the bed. Like it's all like competitive. Like looks like NASCAR
2: and stupid. I think totally. Do you think like a brand like Former's cool, or it just doesn't appeal to you, or maybe just wrong audience? Former. Yeah. Uh, Former. Oh, Former. Oh, like Dane Reynolds's. (laughs) Yeah, you know that guy. Yeah, it's just not. It's not
1: my vibe. I don't know. Like it's it's not like my aesthetic, or like I would not buy the like I don't. I, I only like. I don't want to sound like. (laughs) <laughs> too like pretentious or whatever but i seriously only like the only clothes i buy are like sustainable stuff like patagonia or you know like i i'm not gonna like buy something that's cheap and like not i don't know anything about former
2: but i just assume yeah, it's like produced. do you think 21 year old metatone would have liked it or like young kid? i
1: don't know i don't know it's like it's a diff. it's a different like it's a modern it's a different aesthetic than what like was cool when i was I'm a 40, so like, I don't know. Like, I was growing up in the 90s when like logos slapped on all shit was cool. <laughs> the but, like, everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, that Volcom stone, baby, just put it on everything.
2: <laughs> well, that stone is still so cool. Like, the stone is just super. Is like, it? I still see stuff from Volcom. I oh, yeah. probably rock. You know, maybe the yeah, brand no, sucks it. I don't, now. I don't, I I don't pay attention. Does. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's a cool a logo. Cool. Yeah, it looks bitching like on logo. the board. Like,
1: yeah, it's like and it's like dude, it's such a like provocative logo, you know. They didn't like they weren't like what does this mean? It has an arrow that points to this and you know, <laughs> it's like just like a provocative thing.
0: It's it's also black and white, which is, you know, and uh, I and they might have been. I mean, I, I think everybody got around to making their logos black because they started to realize that like, you know, it's actually really functional. But yeah. Stone is just I mean that thing, you know, you can read that thing from space you know it's so yeah From so far away it's such a functioning it's such a functional logo even though i don't think it was intended to be that but it just it it ended up there right
1: yeah i would love to know how that logo was made like it's so abstract and like geometric and
0: yeah the well, do you, would me, and you would tell me yesterday, like a yin yang was it yesterday damn or like a couple days ago um that volcom used to be vol.com and that's how volcom came to being i didn't uh. realize that Oh,
2: really? That's kind of that's
0: yeah, that's what I heard somewhere along the way.
2: <laughs> that's uh, <is> true. <laughs> the early days of the <laughs> internet. I think it's true. But you know, my my saying is don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. So yeah, <laughs> it may or may not get be true. So
0: um, let me ask you, I kind of already asked you this question, but I want to make sure I kind of I get it in there. Um, as a design, as a graphic designer, and the type of work you guys do is, is highly visual. Um, and, and really lends itself and I know that you do a, you do work for every kind of media but it lends itself to, to print in a huge way um, what where do you see the work going in terms of client work where's what's what are, what are you guys being hired to do these days?
1: Oh man um, you know actually it's a funny story uh, so we've always made like a conscious effort over the years to like, kind of what are all the plants right like we, we we pride ourselves on diversity and like we don't want to get pigeonholed as like one industry or one type of medium um that's been very intentional on our part like because one we get bored easily and we just we're not specialists we're generalists um but like last year we really started to get a little uh <laughs> we had like the best financial year in 2019. Uh, and you know, then COVID hit, <laughs> but like the re- the work that we were doing was all kind of like naturally ending up in like physical spaces. Like we did a big rebrand for the Ford Theater, which is owned by like um, the LA Phil and Hollywood. Bowl. Um, big physical space. Um, we did like a huge like branding project for a new hotel chain uh, that's owned by Proper Hotels, uh, called Hotel June. We'd been working with them for like a year and a half. Um, Again, another huge physical space. (laughs) And then we were doing all these like cafes for Facebook, like actual like restaurants on their campuses all around the world. So like they'd have like a legit like sushi restaurant in one of their offices or like a barbecue joint. And they'd go like fucking nuts with the branding, like signage and like wayfinding systems and like, you know, spend like four times as much as what like a restaurant in L.A. would for branding services. And we were like just rolling on those like and they're all physical spaces. And um, it was not intentional. They were all in different industries like tech, hospitality and entertainment. But yet they were all like kind of the same thing, like branding projects with a lot of like signage and wayfinding and murals and menu systems and whatnot. So yeah, that was like our bread and butter in 2019 and then like nobody needs that stuff right now, you know, so um, you know we've been doing like a lot of like package design projects this year. Um, Not a lot, but like a few. (laughs) Um, You know, motion motion design a little bit here and there. Um, But yeah definitely mixing things up has always been kind of kind of our thing.
0: You, that I mean, that, and that's really a hard thing to do for most people, because especially, you know, to to it's one thing to go from sort of like a really standard, you know, desktop style medium like print and then and then turn and then have all the considerations of what, of, of what a physical space requires. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's not well, to me. To it's different. all the same. Yeah, to me, it's... too. But but I don't think everybody's good at doing it you know yeah I, that's a hard thing to go from one to the next and, and 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 balance or scale proportion you know all of those types of things are are most graphic designers have a hard time translating that stuff into into three-dimensional environmental design no
1: you know, i mean like it's all that. like experience though like I, I will say like ron and i like uh, had the similar career path before starting italic which was really beneficial for us when we did start the studio. Like we both worked in like tons of different types of uh, studios, like small design shops, big design shops, big ad agencies, um, film production companies, digital production companies. Like both of us like rode that flash website wave at the beginning of the 2000s. Like we both were like, I did 100% flash websites for like, two or three years of my life like all photoshop crap like stuff that i never would show on our website or anything but like even ron ron did like urban planning and design so he had kind of like an architectural background in the past too so like and motion motion design too so i don't know we kind of like brought the that like diverse uh range of work to starting the studio um so it wasn't like you know that's why it's been easy for us with any branding project to be like oh yeah we can like you know do the logo for your hotel but we can also do all the signage and the wayfinding and like the floor plan graphics and you know stuff like that so it is like a different skill
0: set but like
1: yeah we we learned it other places
0: there's there's a lot of um that's, that's can be quite lucrative too i mean that you know signage and wayfinding and all that is it you know that at least at one time and i did i did a lot of that stuff for like disney and you know for like Disney Imagineering, we did tons of that stuff when I first started my my first shop, and and again, like that is probably the most money that we ever made was doing that type of work. So oh, it can man, be nice. really lucrative. Yeah, uh, I
1: feel like what the new the new uh, highly yeah I don't know what the most lucrative <laughs> projects these days are. I guess it depends, um, but maybe like more digital products like apps and stuff. These days, I, I don't know. So I don't know. it's hard to say.
0: Right now, let's say that you're, and and Doom is usually the one that asks this question, but I'll ask it in a specific way. Um, what advice would you give your twenty-year-old design self?
1: Oh man. Well, if it was me, I, I don't really have any regrets or anything. Like I would like do the same kind of thing that I did. But like, uh, if I were giving someone else advice. I don't know it i need like more context i think
0: i okay. think like so, i would definitely so let's say someone's coming, of, someone's coming out someone's of, coming out of art center school yeah right? they're graduating this year and got a very expensive education they're you know they're probably pretty good because they've, they've managed to pull that off and they're you know, trying to make their way into the world um you know in a covid world um where would you advise somebody like that to focus uh
1: i don't know specifically i would just say like stay busy you know like stay like if something's not working like just learn something else you know like work on something else like just be flexible and like open-minded you know and like i know we say no as a lot of times as a studio like you you know and we do like we say no to a lot of projects that might be highly lucrative for us but we say yes a lot too to like, you know, stuff that's new to us because we want to like constantly stay stimulated and like, um, you know, diversify our portfolio or like just try new things and meet new people. So, oh, I guess that is the biggest advice, like creative and design stuff aside, like uh, just like who, you know, and like, you know, treating others with like respect and um, all that is like hugely important. I mean, we would not be where we are. I I've done some shitty things in the past. I haven't always been like a good, you know, a good client or whatever. Like, you know, I've pissed people off in the past, but like, just don't burn bridges. Like don't burn a bridge. Like that will a hundred percent come back and bite you in the end. Like karma is fucking real. And uh, yeah, the world works in mysterious ways. Like, we wouldn't be like with our studio, like we wouldn't have those big clients you mentioned at the beginning if it weren't for previous working relationships. Like those all came from people we worked with at old jobs, jobs that we hated, you know, and, you know, people that like we didn't get along with all the time, but like they moved on. Everybody, you know, moves on in their careers and, you know, gets more successful. Usually, uh, you know, we had somebody we worked with went. And became the head of brand at Reebok. She gave us our biggest project to date. Year two. Like we're near eight or nine right now. And it was still like the highest budget we've ever got. And like she just totally took a chance on us. Like two people in a small little studio. She gave a half a million dollar budget to. It was like. Awesome. <laughs> you know. I mean obviously we had to hire other. That didn't all go in our pockets or anything. But like who does that? You know. Like we're like. We could have just gone to Mexico and like been like peace, <laughs> you know. Like I don't know. And that, same That's with your Google. only.
2: Like, your your only regret was not going to Mexico. Yeah, that's my
1: regret. There's my. I, I will, dude. I will never forget because we charge fifty percent upfront and fifty percent on delivery. That's how all our projects go, and uh, we. I'll never forget taking that first check for two hundred fifty grand to the ATM. I deposited in an ATM. <laughs> I was just like shaking my hand was shaking I was just like oh my god I was like that scene in uh what's it called uh Half Baked when he's just like Abba Zabba oh oh getting the weed from the doctor and he's just like oh
0: oh shit dude i would never have put a check that big in an atm that takes some serious Uh, like you are tempting fate i don't know why
1: you know it was funny it was like i I mentioned earlier ron does all our bookkeeping and handles the money and i he was on like a trip in europe when we got that project for like a month and it was just me like with the studio and i was like "Uh, uh what do i do like it was like seriously year two we were in business it was just like oh my god like we got to hire a producer or something. And what do I do with this check? Uh, I just like knew what I do to, with my own checks. I went to the ATM. and deposited them. <laughs> 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 but yeah, same with Google. Like that was a guy we worked with, uh, Saatchi and Sachi when we both worked at Sachi and Saatchi. and he went to be the head of brand at Google. And like, he's just throwing us like small potatoes project from Google is huge to us, but, uh, yeah don't burn bridges, man.
0: <laughs> that's the advice. It's, it's all about connections. Word. Don't
1: burn it's, bridges. Yeah. It's all about connections and relationships. It really is. My dad always taught me that growing up. Like, it's all about like having good relationships with people. And like, you know, I think that's like, you know, there's talent and then there's that, you know,
0: I think, I think Duma would be one, the one person that I, I can think of that I think truly in, and again, not blowing smoke, but I think in, exhibits that exact ethic is damien because and oh yeah I'll maybe i have to cut this out because it'll sound so ass kissy but but <laughs> the the ability to network is not easy not, not everybody has it not everybody's can manage it and do it well and and to also be very authentic with it because you know and and you come off that way to me too a lot of times you see people that are like networky right and because they're doing it because they know that that what you said is true you're you know the more contacts you have the more people that you know the, the more likely you are and the better connected you are the more like you you are to be busy um no matter what your profession is but there isn't that's that's a schmoozy salesy shitty kind of person <laughs> right and then yeah there's the other piece of it is like that 20 year old person listening to that needs to understand that there's a very specific way that you have to be not just don't burn bridges but but have authentic relationships with people you know and and give and take with that with those people and 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 i i that and again i might just leave it in the podcast because i I do feel like that is that's definitely Duma's ip
2: yeah i guess i don't have anything to back it up with though so that's all i've got i've got got no dude you know
1: everybody every time i surf with you you are hamming it up wherever you are in the lineup with you know everybody in the lineup it's crazy and yeah, everybody has a, a
2: skill set. Yeah, but I don't yeah. have a skill set behind that. Like it's
1: like No, you no have a, like it's... you have a demeanor, you know? You have like a natural way of being um that attracts people, you know? And like that's definitely, you know, that's your superpower, dude. Well, thank you. <laughs> right, no, you... I would definitely tell the 20-year-old too, you know, like cuz we interview a lot of these little shits and uh, they come right out of school and it's so funny it's like entertainment you know like we called our uh, couch in the office when we had the office the therapy couch because like you know we'd both sit in our chairs across from the couch and the interviewee would <laughs> sit there like and like these kids like some of them are just such little shits they're so entitled you know yeah. and like i know that sounds like an old man curmudgeon thing to say um especially because i don't feel like i was like that far off like i don't feel like i'm that older than these people but i don't know like just don't have a fucking like attitude and think your shit don't like just be hungry to learn you know like be hungry to like learn new things and to get better like in every way you know like i don't know we the ones we've hired in the past out of school like they've all been just eager to learn and like willing to do whatever it takes to like you know learn and not come like be like defending their work so hard. you know like we we don't we're not like competitive like that like ron and i like that's not how we work um you'll see a lot of that in ad agencies like the competitiveness and like we're, we're collaborative we are like 100 percent collaborative like there's no ego we're like sharing files and like you know making each other's work better like and we do that with every employee we take on. Like, you know, we take their files, we give them our files. Like, it's just like a collaborative effort. We're a studio, we don't like, when we're sitting there on Instagram, we're not like crediting every person in the studio. Like they did this, they did that. It's like, no, it's fucking italic, like that's it. Um, so yeah, just like learn to shed the ego and like put the work first. And like, you can't make something like really good without like help, I don't think. Um, you know otherwise you're an artist and we're not like technically artists we're like
0: designers it's a commercial effort you know yeah yeah. you're you're trying to sell something to somebody yeah artists do too but like
1: that's the difference between artists and designers like designers work for clients and problem solve artists like feed their own ego you know and you can be both but like they're different like they're different projects and they're different different attitudes and isn't
2: it amazing how isn't it like when you're hiring somebody especially as you get older i find myself doing it right it's like you just want to like teach the younger generation or help out or like give them advice you know so (laughs) if you are eager and like interested in asking questions and like coming in with no ego you're just so much more likely to get employed because somebody just wants to put what they know their knowledge onto you and totally help you out totally
1: like i get off on like talking about this stuff and
2: like sharing
1: you know, like, it, it, it's pleasing to me.
0: It's because I think, but it, it requires, and this is, this is, I think, where the entitlement thing comes in. I don't think anybody really truly does feel entitled. I used to get real pissed about that, too. Especially, I mean, I'm older than both of you guys, and curmudgeon is, is probably a pretty good <laughs> description. <laughs> but I would, I, you know, what it really comes down to, and this is most things in life that are terrible, is insecurity. And so I think, you know, the, that's the other thing is understand, you know, really understand and embrace and get to know your shortcomings and be okay with them and then, and then work to make them better instead of being, instead of trying to pretend that your shortcomings don't exist and that you're somebody that you're not. And that's, I think it's always like, I, I you know, fuck, I definitely a very imperfect human being, but I, I will be the first person to put my hand up and go, yep, I, that's, I fucked that up. Or, you know, and it really drives me crazy when people didn't do that at the office, like someone would fuck up, you know, someone would go to print with like a typo. You know, I know I didn't set that type, you know, and, and of course I looked at it, but it's like, there's <laughs> it a typo, you know, and nobody went, oh dude, that's me, I, you know, I. and then nobody puts their hand up to take accountability for something, you know? And I think yeah. that's a that's another really big one. Like if you make mistakes and you, it, it, you make a mistake and you own that mistake, Dude, I, you're gonna get a rage like, like, I will probably promote you because that's that is to me the that's a sign of maturity and it's also the sign a sign of honesty. You know that. Yeah. That, and and pride. You know. Um. Uh, anyway, that's my totally. question to that whole thing. Totally. Well, I think well,
2: before we wrap it up, one of the reasons we did want to talk to you was on surfing, and we only just touched a little bit about the book, and I don't think we told people where they can find it and when it's going to print. And currently, it's a kickstarter right now so maybe just give us our clients before so it's fresh in them i mean our clients our listeners a bit of a bit more about where they can find it and a bit more about the book and uh, they can hang up this podcast and go buy one straight away yeah buy these books use yeah, yeah. code so surf is... center at checkout for... <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> if only
1: i knew how to put codes on the website coupons <laughs> um yeah no surf shacks volume two just came out um you can get that pretty much anywhere right now. It's got a pretty wide distribution. Um, you can get it on Amazon even, but don't go to Amazon. Uh, <laughs> you can get it on endoek.com, uh, I-N-D-O-E-K.com or like, you know, hopefully bookstores, you know, get your local bookstore to sell it, give them some love. Um, on surfing though, yeah, we're trying to fund that ourselves right now with the Kickstarter campaign. Um, it's just, if you go on Kickstarter and search for Indoic or uh, on surfing, uh, you should be able to find it. Um, And yeah, we're trying to hit our goal.
2: (laughs) And what is the goal? How many books do you need? How many do you have to sell to go to Uh, And
1: Well, it's a monetary goal. It's all or nothing. So we've got to raise $10,000 or else we don't get any of the money. Um, So yeah, we're trying to hit 10,000 bucks.
2: And how much are we at right now?
1: Um, I think right now we're almost halfway there, uh, which is good. We're like at almost five five thousand.
2: Okay, so we're close. Yeah, we're so getting there. We're getting there. So, so, so the yeah, these, I, these
1: kickstarters are so annoying, man. They're all about whoring it out. You know, it's like you gotta like share it on social media like every day, and nobody wants to see this stuff. But it works. Like people, you keep drilling it in, and I don't know.
0: Well, we'll we'll you know you'll get you'll get another at least fifteen dollars out of this. stuff. <laughs> Oh, below,
2: the minimum, awesome. below the minimum investment <laughs> to be had, oh, able... dude oh man well i really appreciate you guys
1: having me on to talk. i love talking about this stuff i love just like talking to other adult human beings these days and uh you know you you guys are doing an awesome podcast i really like enjoy listening to it um you've had some really good ones in the past especially the being a covid <laughs> it's... It's been hugely entertaining to me. Well, that, structural
2: that was... decline ever since. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, it seems
0: it seems like the Doom more perspective we get, the less the less cool they are. The the, the the best, you know, the one that performed the best was when we had the brothers Marshall on it, and it was just a oh complete, yeah, that one was like, great. Insanity fest, and that thing, that thing actually, and not by very much, but it's it's uh it's it eked up above uh, mayhem. So
1: nice. brothers Marshall's <laughs>
0: So Malibu is kicking Orange County's ass.
1: <laughs> Good to hear. Good to hear. Yeah, uh,
0: I know. Me too. I was pretty stoked about it. So we'll see. Well, you if you, well, for all those people,
2: if you're going surfing Strand and you get any heat in the lineup, just let them know Matt Tatone sent you, and <laughs> no, we'll cut that part out. <laughs>
0: Silver strand dog, uh, this, uh <laughs> yeah. coming on the podcast.
2: Oh, he, he lives 100 meters paw strand, on the ride, <laughs> See, make sure you, make
1: I've got shit. the big Biden Harris sign. That's me. Hey. <laughs>
0: All right, keep your head down, man. We, we gotta get yeah. crazy. Thanks, so, you. man. You
1: guys too. Stay safe. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate the
2: top. Cheers. Later.